0: Spards. Dear definitely father thank you so much for this privilege once again to gather together as family father a family that you've given to us as a gift as individuals father we're so grateful all, for all that you've done for us by grace we know that it's your love behind it all father we pray for those that are not with us this evening that unless it's your will for some other reason that they be humbled and return to us in the fold where they need to be we pray for those that are still lost and don't and have never had intimacy with your flock father that they repent and be evangelized and be saved before it's too late. Father, we're most grateful and thankful for the thing that makes all of that a reality, that is your Son's work, our Lord and Savior's work on the cross to make an evening like this one even, something to rejoice in for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 15 of The Lord is Our Confidence. A lot of good things. I love the way the Spirit opened up on Tuesday evening with this uh, slide here up on the board. Faith comes from persistent, humble seeking. It sounds so... I don't even know. I think you could get familiar with that. Honestly. I think we all get familiar with it um faith comes from persistent uh we don't you know it's not um we're not camels let me put it that way we're not supposed to act like camels we're not supposed to you know drink up the word of god you know read the whole bible in a week and then we think we're good for the year it doesn't work that way it's much better to read faithfully each day even if it's a smaller portion that that becomes your um habit if you would so faith if you really want faith that delivers you it comes from persistent humble seeking the question as always is a matter of priorities priorities um, let's look at a parable that jesus told about priorities go to matthew 13 verse 44 matthew 13:44. speaking of priorities <coughs> which really does generate or drive the point on the board faith comes from persistent humble seeking without right priorities that's not going to happen persistent humble seeking is not going to happen if your priorities are messed up so jesus told us a parable about priorities matthew 13 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In other words, that treasure is the most important thing in the world to him. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it that's just a matter of priorities you see where are our priorities if we want faith we have to persistently and humbly seek for it and that's what jesus was talking about getting our priorities straight these individuals obviously had their priorities straight there was nothing more important than the word of truth so i love the way the spirit brought that out first thing on tuesday evening the word of truth is the most valuable thing in the world it really is there's nothing more valuable anything think of anything you own anything you used to own anything you want to own there is nothing that even compares to the word of truth up here on the board as a corollary the value of this wisdom the value of wisdom do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? That's a different angle, isn't it? Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? Matthew 13, 4, uh, to 46. We just read that. Uh, Luke 11:5 5 to 10. So with that on the table, do you value? So now we're talking about our value system. A value system is really what sets our priorities, does it not? You value something more than the next thing, guess what percolates up in the value, or in the, uh, the uh, list of priorities, that thing of greater value. You protect it, you seek it, um, you try to increase it, etc., etc., because it has more value to you. Well, then the question is, how much do you value wisdom? Is it high on your list of priorities? Or do you, I don't know, would you rather invest in your own worldly education? or your own worldly reputation? Or would you rather spend your time investing in the stock market? Spending your time in front of a computer, you know, as a side trader on E-Trade or something like that? I don't know. I don't know, but I know that priorities are what get you up out of the morning, uh, and it's priorities that really set um, the things that we seek for, at least diligently. So, that's the question. Let's look at this second parable now—the parable of the persistent friend. Go to Le- Luke 11:5. Luke 11: verse 5. <clears throat> Just a couple of parables right out of the gate to amplify that opening principle, which said faith comes from persistent, humble seeking. And then the question on the table is: Do you ha- do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? So this is the second parable, the parable of the persistent friend, (coughs) verse 5. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. For some of you, that's a stretch. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Come on. (laughs) Suppose, though, just pretend. (laughs) Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up. And give him as much as he needs. So I say to you ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. I don't have the Greek in front of me, but I'm sure it's present active uh, voice, present tense active voice, which means to do it all the time, habitually. Do it all the time. Don't just ask once. Uh, Don't just have a really long prayer once in a blue moon. Uh, Pray every day. Don't just seek once really hard and throw your arms up. Seek every day. It's about persistence. Because let's face it, God knows our hearts, and God knows that if it's something you really want bad enough, you'll be persistent about it. Fair enough? Remember being a kid? Mommy, ma, ma, mommy, ma, ma, ma. Right? All day, every day. Because you really wanted it. It meant a lot to you, whatever that thing you were, you know, wanted. To him who knocks, it will be open. These are promises from Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, the point of the board. Do you value wisdom enough to seek for it diligently? That's what we just saw. We just saw value propositions, right? How much do you value wisdom in the first place? Would you sell everything for it, like the pearl for the pearl? How much do you want it? Will you seek it persistently, diligently? Present tense, active voice. Will you do it always, every day? Do you do this thing? That's what the Bible teaches us. A person who fears the Lord seeks his wisdom. Hence, tonight will be the third time we'll be visiting the shepherd's psalm. We're going to go to a part of it, though. Go to Psalm 23, verse 4. 23, verse 4. A person who fears the Lord, they seek His wisdom. Wisdom becomes a priority to that person. A person who fears the Lord knows that the Lord has something to say, has power to enact His own will. And so, of course, it makes sense to seek that kind of wisdom. So we've been reading the Shepherd Psalm Uh, By the way, Kathy destroyed my book. I lend out my only book, and it comes back. Todd's like, she was reading it so fast, the pages were flying out. But typical Johnson style, he bought me a brand new one. So, you know, joke's on you for judging her. (laughs) Anyways, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever for additional clarity i'll give you this up here on the board 234 in the amplified classic even though i walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death i fear no evil for you are with me your rod to protect you see that a lot of you may not think that way it's always you know only discipline but we've been learning that discipline is there for our protection the spirit's going to develop that a little bit more this evening as well your rod to protect and your staff to guide. They comfort and console me. And so the rod has that sort of, you know, the the harshness to it or the hardness to it. Uh, and that's the notion of it as opposed to the gently guiding staff of the shepherd. Uh, I think it's uh, would be, we'd be remiss if we just think of the rod as disciplinary because it's bigger than that. It's discipline is part of it but it's meant also to protect us and i like the way the amplified classic uh sh- uh showed light on that or brought light to that point that it's the rod is there to protect us and of course we derive comfort uh from that and con- uh, comfort so the omnipotence of god comforts us uh, this is the point that david's getting at in this uh psalm the omnipotence the all powerful god comforts us his power to save as well as deliver us from evil even evil of our own making is worthy of our fear and respect So there's a certain level of comfort uh in the fear of the lord hence the principle the spirit most uh, spent most of tuesday clarifying Uh, scott and i talked about this uh after the the message i usually call him see how things went um This was the one that uh, he had intimated himself, that he had to sort of sit back and think about. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. A lot of people, I would argue, have maybe never thought that way, have only thought lopsided, thought confidence is bravado, confidence is, you know, stuff that I can, you know, beat my chest over or, you know, be, you know, forward about, forward about only. It's sort of an increasing type thing. We don't think about confidence this way. And again, once again, we'd be remiss if we don't. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. You fear God because you are convinced that he is able to do what he says he can do. You're convinced of it. You have confidence in it. Correct? There you go. You fear him because you know he can do whatever he wants. And there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's what the fear of the Lord essentially is. And that's where we get our respect for Him as well. He has the power to follow through on His Word, whether good or bad. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This fear, where we derive our confidence from, is actually the beginning of wisdom. You need to dwell on that. Go to Psalm 111, verse 10. We have confidence in the things we fear the most. Hopefully you all took the time. It's been since Sunday. I mean, that's like four days ago. Hopefully you had some time. I know the woman's Bible study talked about it, which is always nice to hear. I know Scott taught about it on Tuesday, which is awesome. But that's not. things don't happen that way. You have to do this thing diligently. That's why the Spirit started off with seeking diligently this evening. Again, the Bible tells us that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom psalm 110 or 111 verse 10 the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom that should mean a lot more to all of us at this point all this good work that we've done over the past month or so um, the lord is our confidence uh, how the the spirit sort of melded these two concepts together not just confidence but fear Uh, And then ultimately we get back to here that says, The fear of the Lord, well, this is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Now, why would someone who fears the Lord, who understands Him, do His commandments? That's a good question, isn't it? Because a person who fears and respects the Lord and understands His good heart towards His children knows that's the very best thing to do. That's how you stay out of hot water. That's how you get all the blessings, etc., etc. Because that same God, that same Lord that we fear, if we step out of line, if we disorient, if we reject His commandments, He has the same power that He uses to deliver us, to curse us, to knock us down. And both of those things in tandem should bring us comfort. That's what David said in Psalm 23. He said, knowing that God's not lopsided, that there's really only one way, As G, to borrow from Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and life. There's only one way. You can visualize a path, right? There's only one way. If we, if we stay on it, we're blessed. If we veer off left or right, we are disciplined. Knowing that that kind of strength surrounds us, that bears confidence in our soul. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Uh, that should be one. That should be one eleven. Does, does 111, uh, 111 say praise the Lord? How blessed is the man. All right, go to one twelve verse one then. One twelve verse one. I have a little typo in my. Uh, what do you call it? In my notes here. This should say, "Praise the Lord." Correct. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. You see that in Psalm 111:10, we said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who understand do His commandments. And then in verse 1 of chapter 112, it says, "How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. How greatly." Uh, or who greatly delights in his commandments. Hmm. Here's the deal. God wants us to fear him because he knows its effect on us. As we've been learning this past week up here on the board, fear is a learned behavior. God knows this. God knows that he has to sanctify us. He knows that we have a certain, let's call it what it is, a certain fearlessness before our Father in heaven until we learn about more about his omnipotence more about his abilities Um, fear is a learned behavior children learn fear we're not necessarily born with it per se we learn it we learn fear we are children of god long after we are saved our fear of the lord has increased hopefully exponentially i don't know about you but I fear the Lord more now than ever." Why? Because I know Him more. I know Him better. I understand Him better, just like the psalmist wrote. So we learn fear. We are children of God. Long after we're saved, this fear of the Lord has increased exponentially. The Word is the instrument in our learning, the Spirit our mentor. So earthly children, when we look at them, they're a good example which is why the word of god uses the analogy so often go to 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11 earthly children are a good example 1 Corinthians 13:11 When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, I think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Hmm. Paul conveys to us the typical, let's call it, progression of spiritual growth. Go to Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. We grow up, in other words. That's normal. That's what we would call sanctification. We grow up. We learn things. We learn the fear of the Lord. There's no one here that can possibly say you feared the Lord the day you, as much the day you were saved as you do now. If, if that's true, uh, you've been stagnant since then. Colossians 1.9 For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see Paul's prayer even? To pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. This is what he's asking of the Lord. That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner manner worthy of the Lord. Remember, a person who fears this way, a person who knows, a person who fears. A person who fears keeps his commandments. We saw that in the Psalms. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. What a wonderful prayer to share with us so many years later. Up here on the board, increasing in the knowledge of god the implications are many fear of the lord the beginning of wisdom leads the way how are you how does this happen increasing in the knowledge of god the implications are many fear of the lord the beginning of wisdom as the psalm teaches us leads the way the more we learn about god the more we fear him the more we fear him the greater our confidence the more we fear him the greater our confidence that's just a flip of the original uh, note that really dominated Tuesday evening's message Um, again increasing in the knowledge of God this was Paul's prayer the implications are many I mean we could go on and on probably even do a series on increasing in the knowledge of God that would last a very long time fear of the Lord, though, the beginning of wisdom, as the book says, leads the way. The more we learn about God, the more we fear Him. The more we fear Him, the greater our confidence. So remember our series title, The Direction of Where the Spirit's Been Taking Us. The Lord is Our Confidence. All of this is to establish that one statement. The Lord is Our Confidence. Well, how do we get there? That's what I want. I want Him to be my confidence always. Well, I have to learn more and more about him. And as that happens, I fear him more and more. His abilities, his promises, his blessings, his discipline, all of it. That's the beginning of wisdom. And when that all snowballs into something of substance, then I have confidence in him. But in the absence of all that learning, the stuff you're doing right now, where's your confidence? It's void. It's vapid. Right, it's it's uh, it's a uh, facade. A lot of people say, oh, "I love Jesus, and I have this confidence in Jesus, and you know, I let go and I let God, and I do this, and I just sort of have, I just throw all my faith on the Lord because He cares for me," and they even quote passages of Scripture and all that kind of good stuff. But then when that hits the fan, they crumble like a house of cards, every single time. Why? I'm teaching it. They don't have confidence. And it, if you unravel it all the way back, it goes right through a lack of fear of, of God, all the way back to a lack of understanding and knowledge of God. That's why Paul prayed what he said. I want you to increase in the knowledge of God, because I know the end result. Ultimately, you have confidence. And when you have confidence, you have other beautiful things, gifts from the Lord, like peace. Peace contentment aren't those wonderful things to have in time in this crazy world you bet but if your confidence is based on yourself because you're still running on empty well who's to blame again verse uh, 10 you're still in colossians 1 right okay colossians 1 10. so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As children of God, we grow in fear and therefore confidence. As children of God, we grow in fear and therefore confidence. Confidence the practical side of this development is up here, and this was a beautiful point that I think came out on Tuesday That fear if you're to look at it the right way Fear actually protects us and Remember I remember along, I don't know if I wrote a blog on it, but I think I, I know I'm pretty sure I taught on it. There's that um, That there's that disease that some very rare disease where people are born they can't feel anything And so they just break their arms, you know, they just burn, they can put their hand on a stove and it can literally melt. And they don't know. Um, You know, being afraid of things that can harm you is a really good thing, right? Well, that's what is being taught here. And at the end of the day, fear protects us. A healthy fear of danger keeps us out of trouble. So you have to broaden. This is what started on Sunday. You have to broaden... The way you normally think about where you get your confidence you have to broaden it to understand that you end up getting your confidence as a derivative of fear the things you fear the most give you the most confidence the things you respect in that way give you the most confidence they're the things that in other words have the most power in your life the most influence in your life it protects us. Ultimately, that fear that we have protects us. A healthy fear of danger keeps us out of trouble. So here's the principle from Sunday and Tuesday. Again, fear is a learned behavior. Injury is an experience, something we learn about. Once injured, we have cause for fear. Anyone or anything that is able to harm us becomes a source of fear. We looked at Luke 12, 4-5, Psalm 27, 1-4. And, of course, the key point there is that anything that's able to harm us, anything that has any kind of influence or power over us, should be a, a source of fear. And who has more power over us than God? God himself says, what are you, who are you going to fear? Are you going to fear a man? Are going to fear me? you Are you going to fear someone who can kill you? Okay, physically. They can't touch your soul. Okay, so you're going to fear that over the one who can kill you and send you to hell? Which one's has a greater uh or which one should we have a greater respect and fear of? That's obvious, right? To summarize this up here on the board, <clears throat> fear is a learned behavior, therefore, so is confidence. Fear is a learned behavior, therefore, so is confidence. I always get a kick out of um people who say You know, uh, leaders are born. No. I don't agree with that at all. I think leaders are made. I mean, there is, you know, I'm not talking about, some people misplace the idea of extroversion with leadership. That's garbage. Or maybe vice versa. I don't know. Silent leadership. I don't know. But that's not the point. Um, Leaders are made. And they're made because they have a certain confidence that others are willing to follow. So if you go, if you really go back to all the, any great leader you think you've known in your life, the key element is humility. They got down very low and said, I need to learn. I need to learn. I need to learn what, what is, what am I, what's my environment in the first place? I don't just charge in with a with a a cape like so many morons do and then you know because they're the loudest biggest mouth in the room they think they're the the absolute natural leader I think that's garbage from the kingdom of darkness honestly and it promotes bravado which is vapid and if you push those kinds of leaders even one iota they cry like babies how do I know experience because I've pushed them and they've cried and it's all chest beating and it's just bravado and the, at the end of the day they don't have any real confidence confidence is something that we learn we have to have a healthy respect for our environment for who it is we're gonna we're gonna potentially lead even and as I've taught many many times over the course of you know, the last decade plus now if you, you have to learn what it means to be in that environment as a follower first. If you're not a really good follower, you'll never make a good leader, ever. You have to be a good follower. A good follower implies what? Humility and authority orientation. All of that is learned. Fear is a learned behavior. Therefore, so is confidence. Learn to distinguish discern what true confidence is not just in others like i described that's part of my gift i think it's part of a discernment Um, but in yourself where it matters most are you kidding yourself do you have a i don't know a pseudo confidence do you have a counterfeit confidence are you a chest beating type individual that just wants to tell everybody that wants to convince everybody that you're super confident but god knows better or do you really want to have that confidence maybe you're the quiet type Maybe you want to have a quiet confidence. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. The Spirit's been using the family structure, though, lately in a variety of ways in order to enforce what the Bible has to say about healthy fear. For example, instead of resenting our fathers, we ought to be ever so grateful for them. I I think we talked about three different categories a couple weeks back, a few weeks back now instead of resenting them because they're in authority over us, you know, instead of taking that first step, um, we ought to be ever so grateful for them. Up here on the board. The dichotomy of a good household. We are protected from without, but exposed from within. And we're speaking of fear here in context. Fear is framed this way in order to protect us. We just saw that, that fear protects us. Fear is framed this way in order to protect us. To, quote, dwell in the house of the Lord is to live comfortably and confidently. If you don't experience or abide in a father's presence, you are insecure. I hope you know what I mean by that. I had had erased that sentence about three times. If you don't experience or abide in a father's presence, you are insecure. Just suppose it's, it's a good father. If you don't abide in his presence, in other words, if you, if you reject his authority in his own household, does that make sense? You will be insecure. You think you're, you, you think that bravado, that attempt to exert yourself or assert yourself is confidence, but it's really destroying the confidence that you really need, does that make sense? So, if you don't abide in a Father's presence, you are insecure. That's a very subtle point that some of you, I know, I know, need to learn. If you don't experience and abide in a Father's presence, you are insecure. This is why, and please, I apologize, I'm not trying to make an issue out of Daddy Issues, but this is the best way, hopefully you know what I'm talking about when I use the phrase Daddy Issues. This is why daddy issues are so very destructive, so insidious, so undermining. Daddy issues make us want to run away from a household. They want to make us run away from a household, which is the exact opposite direction of freedom in Christ. We saw the heart of David. He said, I just want to dwell in the household of the Lord forever. Okay? That's what I want. But someone who has daddy issues and runs away from that is actually taking themselves in the opposite direction of freedom in Christ. So, from Tuesday's message, we had this desire to dwell in the house of the Lord up here on the board. Scott called it a good obsession. An obsession. I just want to be in my Father's presence. Okay, I just want to be in my Father's presence. And that's a good obsession, a good thing to you know, obsess over in the positive sense. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 27, 4, part A, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life life and so we have to make sure that our anti-authority issues our daddy issues our whatever it is we don't carry that into the house of the lord we have to leave that stuff at the doorstep if we have it david's confidence in the lord is self-evident up here on the board again confidence is a function of fear we've learned this philippians 3 3 reads "For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. All right, so we've got to get practical here. Uh, and again, we're, just, we're, we're coming out of the mind shaft, so a lot of this is review, I understand that. But now is the time to synthesize it in your own soul. And you're going to hear some of the same things over and over. But that's a very good thing because he's taking it from different angles. Fear is a learned behavior, as we've already learned this evening, already noted this evening. Shall we live in fear of all things injurious to our person then? May it never be. We shall only live in the fear of God. There is a big difference. Go to Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. There is a big difference If confidence is derived from fear if you fear anything but God say yourself or the world then your confidence is relegated to that object and if you've got confidence in the world or even yourself to deliver you in time of need you have big problems but if your confidence is in the Lord because you fear the Lord that's a very good thing Psalm 27 verse 1 the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear almost rhetorical right like the lord is the defense of my life whom shall i dread seriously who am i going to dread up here on the board second timothy 1 7 for god has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline again the point we're developing fear is a learned behavior shall we live in fear of all things injurious to our person and May it never be, we shall only live in the fear of God. There's a big difference. Now to get even more practical, this came up this past week as well, but in a variety of different ways. Let me see if I can summarize it for you. Spiritual health and confidence. Fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. Who do you fear? What do you fear? Look at that, for starters, baseline it. Because you can't get the confidence until you understand the fear. You can't get to a healthy confidence if you have an unhealthy fear. So you have to at least examine your fear. And if you say, well, I don't know, you know what that's an indicator? of? You have no knowledge. I don't know, get it, no knowledge? I have no knowledge. So now you go back one more step and start learning your Bible. Read your Bible some more then. Keep reading, 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 reading and then this develops. And then when this develops, more and more than this develops. The Spirit's asking you to go backwards. See if there's any holes in your ship. See if you've got any leaky leaky leaks. High tech, right? I know. Fear is among, up here on the board, fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got. Fear produces confidence. Confidence in the Lord is a very good thing. So think about that over the weekend that fear is among the greatest indicators of spiritual health that we've got and examine your own fear what do you fear the most if someone if 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 uh you know this is impossible suppose god said okay i'm not looking <laughs> right go the thing you fear the most some of you are like oh, i don't like the dark why what's that from You're afraid some guy or some boogeyman is going to come out and get you, right? Is that a fear of God or a fear of of man? You already know the answer. You see what I'm saying? You should assess yourself that easily. Say, seriously, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of being broke. Well, then you need to read the Bible. Because God says he'll never leave you destitute. Either you believe that or you don't. Either you've read enough of your Bible to have faith or you don't have it. Do you follow? Or I fear, I don't know, I fear being alone all my life. Are you serious with that one? How insulting is that to God? I wonder if Jesus, who was single, had that problem. Or Paul had that problem. Don't let, what do you, you you're what? You're afraid that what? You're a lesser person because you're single? Are you joking? Did you, have you read Paul's stuff yet in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and 8? Have you read it yet? Cause if you did, you probably wouldn't. He'd be, he'd be like, it sounds like he, like Paul saying, we should be, maybe it's good to be single, <laughs> right? And you'd be right. That's literally exactly what he says. He goes, if you want trouble, get married. Tammy's like, Amen. <laughs> Todd, Kathy's saying the same thing. <laughs> uh, what are you afraid of, for real? Are you afraid of those things? Are you afraid of someone's going to think, what, poorly of you because of, I don't know. But I know that confidence in the Lord, that's a very good thing. And fear in Him produces a good confidence, a confidence that sustains us. Not a false one, not a counterfeit one, not a pseudo one, not one that's fleeting first chance it gets. A lot of people make the mistake of chasing after their own desires. Well, if God's not going to give me somebody, I'm going to take somebody. Or if God's not going to give me money, I'm going to make money and be a self-made person. And all your confidence goes into that basket, and then eventually you figure out at the end of it, like Solomon said, "I tried to warn you. I told you it's all vanity. It's all striving after the wind." Did you read my experiments? You know, I never got around to reading the Bible. I didn't. I never got around to actually knowing God, because I was too busy working on my own confidence. You see. That's all he's saying. If you want real confidence, confidence that will truly deliver you and hold up under pressure from the world, this is what he's driving you at. Check out your own fear. What's your, what are your fears? What's your top 10 fears? Be honest. What are your top 10 fears? Go home tonight. Make a list. What are your top 10 fears? And see if they have anything to do with God. No, for real. And see if any of them are literally an affront to God's promises. I guarantee you, the vast majority of them are. If you're honest. Make a list. It'll be fun. <laughs> so you're like, what? No. <laughs> He's sadist? Is He's it sadist or massacre? Which one? I always get that confused. Don't answer that. I don't even want you thinking about that stuff. But make a list for real. Examine your own fears. Fear produces confidence. Confidence in the Lord is a very good thing. David's heart, the one that wrote your rod and your staff, they comfort me, gives us insight into what's been coming from the pulpit. We noted the practical side of this when David was faced with discipline. He was given two options. Discipline from outside the household or discipline from within. Discipline from without involves a fear from without. Discipline from within involves a fear from within. Fear of man versus fear of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Which one did he choose? He chose the discipline of the Lord because he feared it greater. You might say, well, but wasn't he afraid of them, like, stringing him up or something? He didn't know. He just said, I fear God so much. I, he, I have so much respect, because that kind of fear is laced with respect. I have so much respect for him that I'll choose him, even if it's worse." even if he's the one who decides to kill me and they were going to let me go free i'd rather have his judgment because his judgment is always righteous go to second samuel 24:14 second samuel 24 verse 14 that's the attitude of confidence do you see it that's the attitude of fearing the lord and believe it or not you might be a little scared about what god can do to you but what the Bible's teaching us is that's a very that's a much better place to be than the uncertainty and the depravity of fearing man. In other words, you can be secure here, but insecure, absolutely insecure out there. Isn't that one of the greatest litmus, or one of the greatest hallmarks of a believer versus an unbeliever? If you know if you've met a true believer that's been, you know, matured a little bit, they have a certain confidence. An unbeliever, if you dig deep enough, it doesn't take very long in some cases, you realize they have no confidence. All their confidence is in stuff that's fleeting, which is why they're exhausted all the time, trying to keep up with the next new thing, so that they have more confidence to build on, blah, 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 blah. Second Samuel 24, 14. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Again, up here on the board. Psalm 23, 4, Part B. Your rod, symbol of discipline, even a symbol of protection, as we saw in the Amplified Classic, and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. All of this, in other words, is for my protection. All of this is because you love me, because that's what a good father does. He disciplines his own, a good father loves his own, a good father blesses his own, etc. Our series is titled, The Lord is Our Confidence. The Lord, then, is our the head of our household, as we know. And I was thinking about this from yet another angle, and just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine a perfect heart that is given responsibility over a household. Just imagine a perfect heart given responsibility. Uh, responsibility over a household how do you think it will function when addressing the children in that household whom it loves dearly do you think a good father excuse me desires to see his children succeed or fail if given the opportunity to guide them in which direction will a good father do so Will he lead his own children down the road of dysfunction, exacerbating them every chance he gets? Will his deepest desire be to instill daddy issues into the souls of his beloved, hoping they will run away from his household first chance they get? Or, or, will a good father do everything possible to protect his children Guide them to quiet waters, as David confidently described in his, uh, uh, his Father in Heaven, as his Father in Heaven does. Again, or will a good father do everything possible to protect his children? It's one of the reasons why, Joe, you're right on the chopping block now, your child has to fear you. No, not, no qualms whatsoever. I'm not talking about fear of being beaten to, to death half the time. I'm talking about an actual fear-slash-respect. Your child has to fear you because it's for their own protection. A, A good parent knows that, says, if they don't fear me, I can't protect them. If they don't fear me, I can't protect them. Because when I say, hey, listen, do this thing because I said so, I need them to fear me. I may not have time to explain. I need them to be protected therefore I need them to fear me because as we learn fear protects us when things are right I'm not talking about dysfunction junction like some of you grew up in when things are right a good father will do everything possible to protect his children and that includes instilling fear in them isn't that what our Father in heaven does for us as a gift he instills fear in us he's doing it right now to some of you Some of you have been at it for 30 years, and you're like, man, he's scaring me lately. Good. I'm more and more fearful of my Father in heaven. Good. Because maybe you'll listen to his commandments next time. Maybe just on the basis of that fear alone, you won't ask any more questions. But it's one of my least favorite things. Oh, shut your mouth. Just clam up, shut up, and listen. Someone in authority is trying to speak here for your own good. And you're too damn busy doing this number because you got daddy issues, or you got this issue, you got that issue. A good father is just trying to protect his children. And one of the first things you do as a father, Joey, listen up, is instill a certain fear in that child. That's why when a child gets out of line, you have to discipline them. The Bible says even whack them with a the rod. Pain, you know, like real pain. Not the emotional Ms. Dr. Spock pain. <laughs> or even worse, you know what they're doing now? Cut all negative discipline out, only positive reinforcement. No negative reinforcement. What? Yeah. I mean, you must be haggard by the end of the day. Because you all, you just have to keep one-upping yourself, don't you? Well, they stopped doing it, so i got to do more for them. Well, they stopped doing it, so now i got to actually encourage them more. Now, how about you get over here, and I'm going to smack you upside the head. How about that? We'll stop this train right now. Why? Because I love you. Because it's the best thing for you. I'm trying to protect you. That's my job. Isn't that what our Father in Heaven does? He instills as a grace gift fear in us. And because He He gives us that grace gift, we have confidence in Him. We say, He's a good dad. And you're right. He's the best. He's perfect. Will a good father do everything to protect his children? You bet. To To guide them to quiet waters? You bet. That's how David confidently described his Father in Heaven up here in the board. Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. How does that reconcile with fearing him so much? This is what we've been learning. A person who fears the Lord has a quiet soul. A good father will always seek what's best for his children. Is that fair enough? Then what say you about our Father in heaven? Do you know him enough to have the kind of confidence that will deliver you? Up here on the board. For example, in the English Standard Version, Lamentations three twenty-two to 23 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even when he disciplines us, he's right there the next morning with, a big, with open arms. Is he not? Isn't that what a good father does? Isn't that what a good father makes his point and then says, I'm still here. I still love you. I'm not leaving you. I just had to discipline you because you were out of line. Kid might be, you know, you know, sulking. You know, some kids are more stubborn than others. Who knows? But that's not the point. A good father makes his point, disciplines, but shows mercy and says, "I still love you." This isn't an issue of how much I love. As a matter of fact, you should look at it as a measure of how much I do love you, because this is hard. It's it's unpopular in today's day and age to instill fear in a child. It's, un- it's literally unpopular. Like, no, 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 that's not how you parent. No, 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 no. That's not how you parent. Wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute. That's how my Father in Heaven parents. And if He's perfect, I'm gonna follow His lead. I'm almost out of time. Let's think about a couple more things. Our confidence in the Lord is a function of his presence in our lives or our acceptance of it. Does that make sense? He's always there. I'm not trying to say he's here today and gone tomorrow. Our confidence in the Lord is a function, though, of his presence, if that makes sense. This means that our confidence in him increases each and every time we, let's say, encounter him when we recognize Him, when we stop being self-absorbed and remember He's with us. This means that our confidence in Him increases each and every time we encounter Him, whether under blessing or cursing slash discipline. Every time. Every time we encounter Him, every time we are sanctified by something we know He has a hand in, whether it was him who blessed us or him who cursed or disciplined us. As long as we know it was from him, as long as we can understand, we can see the clear path to his righteousness, our confidence goes up. Our fear is going to go up as well because that's an expression of power. Right? Our fear goes up, which is good, because that parallels confidence. Our fear goes up, we have more confidence. It doesn't matter what he does as long as we recognize what he does. Does that make sense? And that's what David said. I don't care what you do, <laughs> but I just want it to be from you. He was so in tune with that that he said, Against you and you alone I've sinned. That was his attitude. That should be ours. Lamentations 325 to 26 in the Amplified Classic. The Lord is good to those who wait hopefully and expectantly for him, to those who seek him inquire of and for him and require him by right of necessity and on the authority of God's word. It is good that one should hope in and wait quietly for the salvation, the safety and ease of the Lord. And I think I'll close this way. We, not, we ought not only be confident in the Lord as in only his person, but we also... Ought to be equally confident in his workmanship. In other words, if you believe he's perfect, what say you about his workmanship? If a potter is perfect at his craft, what say you of his product? If a potter is perfect at his craft, what say you of his product? I think that's where I'm going to end. I know it's sort of a a dangling thread, but maybe that's what He wanted to insert into your soul for the next few days until we get back here on Sunday. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this incredible privilege of studying Your Word here this evening. Thank You for always giving us truth, unadulterated truth, uh, because that's that truth, Father. We know You've taught us this. Your Spirit boldens us with it it's that truth that sets us free thank you father we just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to our homes and then out to a world that's just decaying father we ask these things in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen thank you